0: We raised her hand and said, I will defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I do that every morning. Well, I don't raise my hand, but I go out there for the mission. And J&J being in a Fortune 50 company is not only a, a target because it's healthcare, target because it's created a vaccine, but it's also part of the financial institution and is seen as a symbol of of the United States. And so making sure that our data is safe, our systems are safe, so that the people who create the vaccines, who create the drugs, who create the band-aids that are used around the world every single day, they're free to do, to operate without being attacked or having to worry about their systems or data.
1: You are listening to On Point, a show about veteran business leaders, entrepreneurs, executives, financiers, and social innovators who made a name for themselves in the military and then took the private sector by storm. This show is hosted by the founder of the old grad club, Eddie Kang. Hello and welcome to On Point. This episode features an interview with Maureen Allison. Maureen is the current chief information security officer for Johnson & Johnson. Prior to joining J&J, Maureen was the CISO and VP for Medco, the largest pharmacy benefit manager in the United States. Prior to that, Maureen was also with Avaya as the head of global security, where she worked on securing the World Cup network in Korea and Japan in 2002. Before joining Avaya, she was VP of loss prevention and safety for the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company. Before joining the corporate world, she served as a special agent in the FBI working on undercover drug operations in Newark, New Jersey, and also defended against potential terrorist attacks in San Diego, California. Marine graduated from West Point in 1980, the first class to include women and branched military police. She was on the Defense Advisory Committee on Women in the Services, appointed by the Secretary of Defense and the Overseas Security Advisory Committee, appointed by the Secretary of State. She is a founding member of West Point Women, a shared interest group at West Point, and currently serves on their board of directors. On this episode, Maureen shares what it meant to graduate in the first class to include women, the scope and magnitude of being the CISO for J&J as they produced the vaccine that protected against COVID-19, and how she's able to tackle challenges with an I-can-do-anything mindset. Maureen's triumphs in the military and private sector have been truly amazing. Hearing firsthand what her and others in the first class of women experienced was eye-opening and incredibly inspiring. Before we jump into it, feel free to check us out on LinkedIn and Instagram at Club and online at oldgradclub.com. Now, please enjoy this interview with Maureen Allison. Maureen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, really appreciate it. I know you're super busy, and so where are you? Where are you dialing in from today?
0: Thank you for having me, Eddie. I love this idea of uh, the the younger grads and the older grads kind of uh, coming together over technology. Uh, I'm calling in from Ponte Vedra, Florida today.
1: Gosh, That's awesome. Your story has so many different areas that we want to learn about, but maybe if you could take us back from the beginning, where did you grow up and, you know, how did you find yourself in the the really glass ceiling breaking class of 1980, the first class of of West Point women there was?
0: So I grew up in southeastern Massachusetts. I sort of channel Abigail Adams. I was class president at Silver Lake Regional High School down in Kingston, Massachusetts. I, I needed to get out of Massachusetts. I needed to go to college. My dad had been laid off in the mid-70s, 1970s, and so I was looking, could I get an ROTC scholarship? But you have to remember, um, in the 70s, again, with the drawdown of Vietnam and the fact that women were kind of new, finding an ROTC scholarship, the academies weren't open to women, uh, I think it was October of uh, 1975. My my dad saw an article in the the Globe, Boston Globe, and it said you know the academies were opening up to women. So I applied to the Air Force oh, Academy.
1: Boo, boo. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I know, I know, but. Um, Senator Kennedy didn't give me his nomination to West uh, to Air Force Academy, and Margaret Heckler decided instead of the Air Force Academy, she wanted me to be her nominee to uh, West Point. And so, sight unseen, July 7, 1976, I showed up at West Point.
1: Did you know how big of a deal that was? Like, I mean, nah. Just thinking about the Academy right now, and I know that you do, you're super involved with West Point AOG and the founder of West Point Women, which for all our listeners is the shared interest group for West Point Women. Um, but, you know, at the time there was nothing like it, right? They had to probably change all these different rules. How, how, uh, how interesting was it when you were showing up, maybe on our day or whatever it was, on all the adjustments and, and all of the, um, I'm sure there was like forms of discrimination uh, towards you all being there.
0: Um, yeah, you know, and, and we didn't call it that at the time. And, and it, as I look on it today, and I look back, it was a huge deal. And, and my class ultimately was going to be changing a lot of the social norms at West Point. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But it sort of felt like they really weren't ready for us. There, are, there were bathrooms that still had urinals in them. And some of them still have them, even today, after all these years.
1: Women's bathrooms with urinals.
0: Oh, absolutely. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, and uh, it, literally one day it had been a men's room and and now it was a woman's room, especially in the barracks areas. Um, the uniforms was an were, were definitely another area. The class of 80 and 81, the women were not issued full dress coats that had tails. So they said there's a piece of our anatomy that could be larger than men's pieces of the same anatomy. So they would not put tails on it. So there wouldn't be a bump in the back and which, which was almost laughable. uh, When you you look back and think about it, they never thought we were going to be firsties because who is at the back and at a, you know, a backside with a bump is probably a lot better than a backside with half of them white, and half of them with a full dress coat. They changed that. But there were so many of these things that it was kind of, it was an agile approach to integration, and some things just hadn't been thought through through the years.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, so I'm an 08 grad, and I'm sure that women went through, like, difficulties during our time. Like, I'm sure it's incomparable to what you all went through. Um, And so, Taking it back holistically, you, you obviously you're you're the CISO at one of the largest companies in the world, uh, with probably one of the the most challenging missions in the world of right now of, of vaccinating the world. But when you were uh, when you were a cadet, did you ever think that you would be you know the chief information security officer at at a Fortune you know fifty company?
0: Eddie, the internet didn't even exist.
1: That's wild, yeah.
0: So I, so I couldn't even conceive of it. It was something, and I like. There's a large amount of cadets one day at a time, all the way to graduation day. And then we'll think about it later. But yeah, it it really, it wasn't something I could think of. My class was the first ones that were introduced to electrical engineering. This is before computer science. I mean, we didn't have PCs and we didn't have mobile phones. So, you know, we we were past the stone tablets and the dinosaurs had left the plane. But we still, we still were not in that age that you saw in 2008.
1: Uh, that's right. And, and, and so did you end up majoring in electrical engineering, or what was your major?
0: Uh, we didn't have majors. We had concentrations. So every cadet that graduated, we had so much engineering and math and science, we literally could have, any other school, uh, we would have had probably one or two degrees in some type of engineering or science or math. But at the time it was just a concentration so my, my engineering concentration was electrical translates to an EE
1: yeah that was probably the best you could have done right at that point when it comes to preparing yourself for what you do now um, and so you you know graduate in 80 um, you branch military police right? Um, can you take us through that decision in, in your time in the military, what, where your mind was and what you were kind of really thinking your goals were going to be in your private sector you know, or your, your military career at that time?
0: So part of the problem at the time, Eddie, was a lot of the branches were not going to be open to women. And so I wanted a branch where whatever I did in that branch, I could have equal performance to a male peer because I wanted to be promoted and so when i looked at it uh, i chose military police because that was one of the few branches and i had had a cadet troop leadership experience over in berlin germany before the war when the wall went down and so i was able to get that military police platoon time in berlin and i said this is me i got this i want this and so I got the last lot in, electric, or in uh, military police and was branch military police.
1: That's, all, that's awesome. I, w- I spent some time in a military police unit in Korea. Um, it's the 94th MP Battalion. Uh, it was a great unit, and uh, there's definitely a lot of traditions in that branch that are, are special and unique to, to military police. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your Army time? Because it sounds like you always had s- not necessarily something to prove, but, you know, the world wasn't necessarily, you know, working in your favor at the time, but you've, throughout, you know, your time at West Point and, and really, like, forging a path there in the military career and then now in the private sector, you have crushed any, any ceilings or walls or anything in that regard. Did you always have that kind of energy that you really kind of wanted to prove people wrong or really excel in some way?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't go in trying to prove anything. I try to accomplish the mission. I love the mission. And with the military police, it was pretty much the same way. There were people who put constructs around what I should do and what I shouldn't do. But those were more other people's ideas about me versus me. I've always known I could do it. And so uh, did the military police, loved it. Fort Hood, Texas. It's
1: a great place.
0: Yeah, it's a big place. And it had a big MP mission. Just loved it. And, uh, you know, of course, we had Fort Knox with the tanks. So living in that environment was awesome for me. And um, what happened was the Secretary of Defense at the time decided that they didn't want women to serve in forward units because they might be in harm's way. And so uh, my husband and I, who was also a military police officer, University of South Florida, though, we both decided to get out and become Special agents in the FBI
1: this was 86
0: and carry a gun every day with real bullets. Yeah, yeah Yeah, do undercover drug work So, you know, I I've never looked at the constructs of what somebody says I can or cannot do And I look at my abilities and my ability to do it
1: Gotcha and when you were when you will I don't know if you joined the FBI or if you were with the FBI in 1986, but did you did you leave the military to do that? Yes, so you did leave okay Wow, and did your husband also join the FBI at that time as well, or how did that work? No,
0: he went first.
1: Oh, he went first. I sent
0: him first. I said, (laughs) "Okay, you go figure this out." We got he got us an assignment in San Diego, California, big Navy town. Couldn't really um, couldn't really hurt us in any way, and so we were out there, and um, we were out there, and I was working counterterrorism at the time when the captain of the van Captain Rogers was uh his wife's vehicle was bombed and then i also got to do a nuclear terrorism exercise out there one of the world's largest nuclear terrorism exercise called compass rose so i gained a lot of experience and again if you don't know you're not supposed to be able to do something you can do a lot of things
1: yeah that's that's awesome and so basically from 86 to 92 i i believe you spent about six years in the fbi um and then how do you transition at that point? Because at that point you've, you know, obviously it's really cool. Your first class of, of women at West Point, and then you, you kick ass as an MP and then you're in the FBI. But then how do you make that transition? Because it's all kind of pu- public sector type work. And then essentially, you, you know, you transition really successfully. But what was, were you, what were you thinking at that time and how did you make that happen?
0: Well, I wasn't thinking about it. And this is really where sponsorship comes into your life. So my first element of sponsorship was when Margaret Heckler decided that I would go to West Point instead of the Air Force Academy. She made that decision, not knowing me, but just, hey, this looks good. My second sponsorship in my life was uh, Lieutenant General Sam Wetzel. Uh, he was on the board of directors of a and Foods, and there were two other women, which is almost unheard of at the time, on their board of directors. They sat down over a glass of wine, they were losing their head of security, and they came up with, well, let's see if we can find a West Pointer, let's find a woman, let's find somebody who has security or law enforcement experience. And I was the one, the one. And through uh, a recruiter, uh, through Russell Reynolds and Associates, recruiter, uh, the, the brother of the recruiter sat next to my classmate Nancy Gukwa. And uh, she said, yeah, I know Marine, and no internet, no cell phones. So I got a FedEx package in the mail, which I actually thought was a joke, but I thought I'd follow up on it. And ends up, I got offered the head of security, a VP position at the age of 33 uh, for the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company to head up their loss prevention and security department.
1: That's really awesome. And did you... Um at the time did that encompass cybersecurity?
0: There was no cyber yet. Did really? Remember? Not there no was, okay this it, is like I can't I can't I,
1: <laughs> I was born in 85. <laughs> I can't even think about not having a uh, oh, really internet. Um okay, so you are the head of security and 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 uh, director of global security then at Avaya and obviously so Avaya, you know, big big networking company. Um why why in that's after about 10 years, right, at AMP, Why make the switch at that time? We
0: got, we got the internet. Finally, We got the internet finally. and we got PCs and distributed computing. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so what happened was is I was there for about 10 years, and I had done a lot of the um, uh, physical security, and then Y2K came in, and I had done a lot of the process mapping and data mapping for A&P. And the IT bug bit me and I knew that my real nature was IT and engineering. And so Avaya Telecommunications reached out and asked me to be their director of global security, and I went there. And it was just as uh, voice over IP uh, was starting. So that was all the, that's why we can do what we're doing today, Eddie, is because of voice over IP, and it started. And I got there, and I was there six weeks. And they decided that they were going to um, they were going to support the World Cup. And their head of IT security left, and they asked me, Marine, we want you to take over IT security for the World Cup. So I was able to run the security operations center. This is my first IT security job. Run the, uh, the IT Security Operations Center. For the first time, voice over IP will be in a production network in Korea and Japan.
1: Was that scary? I mean, going from like no internet to like run the-
0: Well, if you believe you can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> if you believe you can't do it, it is scary. I, I believed I could do it. The mission was be successful.
1: Do you believe you can do anything? Like, is that, is that basically what I'm hearing here? Is that, like, people are going to throw things at you?
0: I can't make pigs fly. I cannot make pigs fly. Okay. But I believe I can do most anything. That's huge. I believe every West Pointer or Academy grad can do most everything. Hey, they stood up at math boards and didn't have a clue to what was going on and were able to not fall apart. So, yes, you can do everything as a West Pointer.
1: That's the reason really why we do these podcasts and the old grad club exists is we've felt like people were kind of selling themselves short or they weren't dreaming big enough. And then we found all these people like yourself that didn't even think about barriers or challenges. They just went and why not, you know? And so what we want to do is highlight stories like your own because hopefully um, people realize that they can do whatever the heck they want to, so... And so hopefully the world, I, I believe the World Cup, the IT security went well that year. And it seems to have gone well, given the trajectory of your career after. But, you know, can you take us through, because you were at Avaya, that was about three years, and then Medco So, VP of Global Security for about five and a half, six years, is that right?
0: So, going over to Medco, and in 2005, we were actually looking at a couple of legislations that were out there. Sarbanes Oxley came into being, as well as the HIPAA uh, for privacy and security. And so, those frameworks really taught me how IT could impact business. And understanding that, and then the governance associated with it has done me well over the years because a, it's easy to think you know IT security it's just about IT and being a geek but a lot of it is around the governance in a business and the translation of IT risk or cybersecurity and cybersecurity threat into business risk and and today it's it's very very prevalent And, you know, today, you know, we have the uh, cybersecurity and Homeland Security is Jen Easterly, a 1990 grad. And so, you know, the things we couldn't even conceive of have actually come to fruition.
1: Gotcha. So at what point did you get the call to move move over to J&J where you've been for, was it 17 or 18 years? Is that right?
0: No, no, I'm not that old, adding Oh, that, sorry uh, about I've that. I've been here eleven years.
1: Oh, it's just eleven years. Sorry, I, the I no, was ad, I was I was adding years. your time in the different roles. So it's eleven years. Okay, <laughs> apologies, Marine. Sincere yeah. apologies.
0: Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. So I came here in um, uh, 2010, and what had happened was though the Chinese had been knocking in the banking industry and in oil and gas industries health care the first hard knock we saw was in march 2010 by the chinese government and since that time they were then they started to suck up all the data of people that could get they got va data um uh, target all sorts of healthcare care data all over so what happened was the position when I came over to J and J, I had 26 people on my team, very dedicated professionals at 26, and um, we have grown over to 300 professionals today. I'm happy to say I have three West Pointers and I have three Air Force Academy grads.
1: Wow, well, it sounds like we need to get more West Pointers in there then. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm working on it. There's a couple out there that might hear this podcast I'm working on.
1: Well, I hope so. i hope uh, I hope it inspires people to join your team. And I also think it's fascinating that, as a private sector civilian, you've had a huge i mean, that's a that's a geopolitical high-stakes issue that you're dealing with that, from a security front, arguably, might be more important than some of the conflicts, like the, the kinetic conflicts we've been in, just because it affects every, every American out there. And, you know, we've heard a lot about the great work that the VA does um, through, you know, uh, our first guest was actually Bob McDonald, and he's a, a big supporter of us.
0: He's great. He's awesome.
1: No, oh, he's, he's awesome. Yeah. But you've always talked about mission. And because you thought you could do the mission, you accepted the mission and you've always excelled at it. It sounds like the mission to you was more than, you know, keeping J&J safe. You take a, a more holistic approach to how you think about purpose of your role.
0: So when I raised when we all raised our hand, our right hand on the plane, uh, hopefully it wasn't raining and you had to be somewhere else. But for those of us outside, when we raised our hand and said, I will defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic, I do that every morning. Well, I don't raise my hand, but I go out there for the mission. And J&J being in a Fortune 50 company is not only a, a target because it's healthcare, target because it's created a vaccine, but it's also part of the financial institution and is seen as a symbol of the United States. And so making sure that our data is safe, our systems are safe, so that my, the people who create the vaccines, who create the drugs, who create the Band-Aids that are used around the world every single day, they're free to do, to operate without being attacked or having to worry about their systems or data.
1: Gotcha. So when it comes to that, like J&J is clearly a global company, right? Like the products are sold all over the world. Is your team global as well, or do you focus everybody kind of in the U- U.S. and they, they secure the whole global network?
0: Yeah, no, I. you know, I, am, I have a, a, the best job on the planet because I have a global job. I have people that are all around the world. There's a few countries. We're over in, I think, over 30 countries we're in. I have people in. Well, our purview is the entire globe. Well, maybe the penguins in Antarctica are safe, but for the rest of the world. We work as a team on a global mission and 24 by 7. This morning, I'm on a a telephone call. Uh, We're we're talking about cyber insurance and my team member from New Zealand. And we're all, Niall, aren't you supposed to be asleep right now? And he's like, yeah, no, I had to be here for this. And so that's how we tend to work. And yes, uh, we have to institute the China cybersecurity law, as well as the Russian data privacy or GDPR or any of these global regulations. But you know, Eddie, that's what makes it so much fun. Understanding all the nuances of the regulatory environment on the technical world, and then ensuring that the company has a product, as well as having... um, threats that are coming from nation states or hacktivists or criminals or insiders to make sure that J&J is secure. And I love the mission. It's awesome. And then to look at all the technology that's not only in uh, an IT organization like Johnson and Johnson, but also the brand new venture capital and entrepreneurship that we see in the uh, security industry and how that all wraps together. It's like a great big Rubik's Cube that I get to work on every single day.
1: That's so cool and uh, certainly not a simple problem. So what keeps you up at night and what gets you up in the morning when it comes to Well, so – you've already told us what gets you up in the morning when it comes to kind of s- taking a, a, service, uh, a service-oriented attitude towards your job. But does anything, uh, given all the global threats out there, like what keeps you um, on your toes, so to speak?
0: Well, there's a lot that keeps me on my toes. But remember, I told you, you know, being a West Pointer, nothing keeps me up at night. <laughs> right. Yeah. Math boards. Math boards used to keep me up at night. Nothing else. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a team um, of professionals that I rely on. It's not about me. It's about them and their ability, whether it be in the intel or incident response or detect and protect technologies. They are the best in the globe, and they co- and they're all around the globe. So. I can sleep pretty well at night.
1: That's awesome.
0: But, you know, much like the mission when we were in the Army, do I worry about nation-state capabilities? Yes, I do. And hopefully our cyber professionals, our, our cybersecurity majors are literally hearing this and the hope I have and the knowledge that they are going to be using technologies like 5G and quantum and IoT devices uh, to help solve the security threat in the future.
1: I, I'm sure they will be. I've recently been connected with, um, I think his name is uh, Colonel Ray Blaine.
0: Oh, Ray is awesome.
1: Yes. Yeah, he's awesome. And I think he's doing his thing. And you know, we're trying to get... Um, internships and and all sorts of different positions so the cadets can get more exposure. But it's, uh, I think they're doing a great, like of all the things I think are kind of bleeding edge at West Point, I think that that's probably one of them. Like they really do a good job there. And I think a lot of it has to do with donor money. Um, So a small plug for AOG, I guess. (laughs) At the same time, when it comes to, you know, we've gone over a lot of your career from West Point to the, the military, to transitioning and all your different roles, which have been great stories. Let's get into our next segment, the SOP, or Standard Operating Procedure. In this segment, we're going to talk about the personal routines, habits, and words to live by that have been instrumental to our guest's success. One thing that I've obviously drawn out is that it doesn't seem like there's, like you you really do believe that besides math boards, perhaps, there's nothing super out there that you can't really do. Uh, but is there anything else that like you do on a daily basis, whether it's Uh, eat a cup of cereal in the morning, whatever it is, that allows you to really, you know, be the best Marine Allison that that you are every day?
0: You know, I think health and nutrition are extremely important. Alex Gorson, class of 82, who is the CEO of J&J currently, uh, he has put in a huge program around health and making sure you get out there, you know, run if you can, bike if you can't, walk if you can't, ride a bike or run. Uh, Swim, whatever it is to make sure you get that activity to keep yourself, your your mental energy and your physical energy up are extremely important.
1: That's big. And was it complete coincidence that Alex ended up being CEO and and you were, you know, obviously in a very senior leadership position at J&J as well? How did that end up happening?
0: Well, I actually got my position before he got his.
1: That's what what I thought, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, and just to tell you the story of a a really cool West Pointer, Alex, is Alex, he was a president of one of our sectors, our medical device sector, and he was in the running for CEO. And months before we even knew he was gonna get elected, uh, selected into the position, he says, hey, Maureen, why don't you and your husband and my wife, why don't we go out to dinner? And so we chose a, a date, uh, three months out in advance, in January, uh, and we chose a date, we chose a restaurant, and the morning he was selected for the CEO position, and it he was, he was named on Wall Street, I got a call from his admin, and I'm thinking, okay, here he is. He's got some other dinner, and I'll be going to dinner with my husband. And Alex's admin, administrative assistant, asked me, hey, Maureen, I'm just checking for Alex and Pat. Um, are we still on for tonight? I said, we're absolutely on. So then I had to stop at a really nice liquor store and get a huge bottle of champagne um, that I presented my husband and I presented to Alex at dinner. But Alex Gorski could have gone to dinner with anybody in the world that evening. He chose, he had a commitment to my husband and I, and we went to dinner in a, a 1970s inn in Pennsylvania, Bucks County, Pennsylvania.
1: Beat Navy. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and I, I imagine that special bond allows you you two to have, in particular, a lot of trust. Uh, as, and as I imagine trust is probably one of the most important things in your role, You know, defending and securing in one of the largest organizations in the world.
0: Yeah, you know, um, Alex is big on creating trust with all his senior leaders because that is how J&J runs. And each person knowing their job and being able to come to the table no matter what it is whether Dr. Paul Stoffels and, and the phar, uh, creating a vaccine, having a team to create a vaccine, and then the pharma group able to uh, bring it to fruition and get it on the street. There's a lot to be said um, about trust in an organization, a team, a high-performing team, and Alex has helped to create that across J&J and uses his leaders. And so, yeah, we, we kind of had, and Alex was on the um, marathon team and I was on the orienteering team at the time. He's 82, I'm 80. So we saw a lot of each other out there on Route 6 headed out towards Camp Buckner. You know? So you know when, you know, you see the, so you know people and dedication. And so, yes, that helps to grow it. And that's, I think, why in a lot of areas hiring academy grads we know people come to the table. I love it on the uh, Use May Careers Facebook page. Uh, somebody, they say, hey, I'm interested in X, Y, Z, and such and such a place. And there's five or six grads who immediately jump on and say, hey, PM me here, let's have this conversation. And like, like what you had said, Eddie, about, you know, I'm looking, I'm always looking for good cyber talent. And I just had a conversation last week. I was headed from DC up to West Point, and there I was having an hour-long conversation uh, with an officer get, that's getting out in the cyber area and about what, what would be best for him, what he could do, what he wanted to do to fit with his work-life balance. And, and a company like j j looks at all those attributes uh, so that we get the best talent and talent we trust that will accomplish the mission.
1: Yeah, it's great to have sponsors. You, you talked about how there was two or you know a few sponsors that really had an impact on the trajectory of your career. It's great to hear guest after guest, week after week, how we have a cohort of you know graduates that came before us that are that are also willing to sponsor and really be there to, to support as well. So um, it's it's uh, invaluable. So.
0: And, and Eddie, I think we as West Pointers, we have a responsibility to other West Pointers to help sponsor them. Sometimes it may be somebody who's a earlier class, sometimes it's a younger class. Do we have an opportunity to go with something and there's an extra ticket or an uh, an extra place at the table? Can we have other West Pointers that we bring in that might not have that opportunity so that they can have the experiences we are and help us for our future?
1: Yep, absolutely. And I think it's the only way it, can, the, it keeps going. On to the next segment, the sit rep or the Situation report. In this segment, we'll dive into what our guest is focused on today and how their vision is transforming the future of industry and society. It's been a, a super, you know, once in a lifetime year and a half that we've had since kind of the beginning of COVID. And the vaccine has been on everybody's mind. And now everybody's got the, you know, we have the avail- availability of the vaccine. It has to be one of the most precious technologies out there to actually protect from a cyber perspective. How large of the challenge was it to, to keep the vaccine secure and, and to ensure that all the different facets of making sure America is strong because we have the vaccine. How much mind share was that taking up over the last like year and a half?
0: It was our primary focus. I mean, we obviously had other things that we were doing, but one of the most important was, was um, the individuals that are responsible, whether it be physical security or brand protection or internal audit, all coming together to make sure that Um, we could secure, not only physically secure the vaccine, but also the intellectual property. But in today's day and age, and we saw with election influencing on Facebook, same thing with the anti-vaccination and vaccination, uh, we saw a lot of what I'll call the hacktivist activity of people trying to influence and sway other people. And uh, you, you see if on Facebook you say something disparaging one way or the other on, or over-inflate the, the vaccine, Facebook will actually put a, there's a little warning now. And it's, it's some of those things behind the scenes so that we really could work on making sure people had the right information. I certainly am a proponent of the vaccine. I know there's some people that aren't. It it can be a personal choice, but we need everybody to have the right facts and not facts that somebody either, you know, from Arkansas, sorry people from Arkansas, but people (laughs) from um, uh, somewhere uh, in the United States, I just used a random place in the United States, or China. We don't want to have others influence are people's decisions. They should have the data that they need to make informed decisions.
1: It certainly is uh, something to see how quickly some of those videos or some of that information can spread, maybe even faster than the virus. I feel like a lot of that inf- the information flow these days because we have so much connectivity is such a, it's such a blessing and also perhaps a curse sometimes. And so another thing that I kind of wanted to touch on is one thing that, so as we were starting the old grad club, we really wanted to make an impact and also work with AOG. We know what we wanted to do, but we didn't know how to do that with the, the academy. We didn't realize once we started talking to AOG that there was this idea or this structure already set in place called the shared interest group, which West Point women really kind of brought into reality. Um, I believe you all were the first shared interest group. Is that right?
0: It is true. It is true. We, we, we walked the path with AOG to get there.
1: <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's made my life easier. It, it makes our lives so much easier. There's structure there. Um, for those out there that... Wanted to start some type of uh, affinity group. Basically, there's a program at West Point AOG where if you set up some bylaws and you have, you know, a half a dozen or so people that want to be a part of your organization, and you're doing something that is really beneficial to the Academy and to West Point AOG, there's something called a shared interest group that West Point women really were the first of. uh, And it allows you to work with AOG, also use their, um, you know, some of their marketing uh, resources as well as some of the Academy resources that they have. And so can you talk us through perhaps how you started or how that all came together?
0: Well, um, back in the day, I think it must have been 2006, maybe, we were going to have a woman's seminar. And we got West Point to say yes to it. And then it, and it was with AOG and USCC. And for those who aren't aware, the Academy West Point USCC is not AOG. And so there's slightly different rules. I think today the mask rule is pro- or how many people can gather. USCC says 50, so if you have an event that's 50, it has to be 50 or smaller, where AOG can actually have a reunion with two or 300 people. So that shows, you know, there's different rules. So we walked, in, uh, with West Point Women, we walked the minefield to create a seminar up at West Point. And um, one of the things was, is we were the very first sold-out 500 women graduates attended, and we've been the only sold-out reunion or group coming together. Uh, Ellen Houlihan, who was on the board of directors of AOG at the time, was instrumental in helping to change the AOG bylaws. And this is something I always – this is kind of my – the model or mantra that I say is is don't complain about the rules, get elected, change the rules. And so she did that.
1: I hear a lot of complaints about – honestly, I hear so many complaints about West Point AOG it doesn't matter if you're, like, a younger old grad or an older old grad. I hear gripes, like, up and down the line. But if you, if you want to do something about it, go, go be involved. And I feel the same way. Absolutely.
0: Get on the board of directors. Get elected. But,
1: sorry, sorry I, I rudely interrupted you. Sorry about that.
0: No, no, this is fine. It's great. It's a great ad for AOG. So what we started looking at is what's the art of the possible? And so for anybody who's saying, hey, maybe this would be interesting, I don't want to write those bylaws, I almost flunked plebe English, Um, they're up on the AOG website. Just take them and then change the names in a couple of places and they're your bylaws now. They're just the AOG bylaws. Um, and, and then uh, we were working with them, but a lot of the same things. There wasn't a really good website that you could hang off of. The fundraising, how would we do that? So West Point Women created a 501c3 capability. We've been dabbling with mentorship. And so we've been maturing with AOG and the other SIGs now and looking at what we can do. And, and sometimes it's been real easy. Well, we really shouldn't do that with West Point Women. And sometimes uh, let AOG do it. I mean, their, their use of Sallyport and the email distribution, um, far quicker, right? It, that's done instantaneously. Uh, now we're raising money for a endowment for the Women's Seminar, so that we'll be able to have it. I'm talking with Allison Berry over at AOG, that's so much easier than me trying to do that. Hey, I have a day job as a CISO. So <laughs> That's right. if I have somebody who has a day job raising money, it's much easier for me. And the campaigns and then working together. Um, and so sometimes it was an, a real easy fit. And other times there's... You know, I'll probably have to get on the board of directors of AOG uh, and help change some more rules. But for the most part, it's been an excellent relationship and helps these shared interest groups to be able to get off the ground without having to do a website and a 501c3 and membership list and, 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 and. They have a lot of the administrative tasks done and they're awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I personally work with Terrence Sinkfield uh, over at West Point. I love yeah, he's Terrence, the best. Yes. I love Terrence too. Yeah, he's good. And um, yeah, they make it easy. But we've talked a lot about West Point Women is and like what it is. I would like to hear from you what the impact that you want to have with it, because it's you know it's one thing to start up an organization and, and it's you all are literally the first class, um, but. One thing that I think the audience would like to hear too is like what what is the impact that West Point women can have? I mean, obviously, hopefully, you know, pray, pray to God there's no urinals in the women's bathrooms still, um, but like
0: they still are there. There's a couple in Thayer Hall if you'd like to see them one day. <laughs> I
1: don't know. Well, maybe one day I'll head back there.
0: We put flower pots in them now.
1: Oh my gosh! Um, anyway, there's got to be other things that other things on the agenda that you all are seeking to accomplish, right?
0: You know, over the time, it's been very interesting. I would say the academy, where it is uh, socially, is completely different. Um, you know, I had talked about not only was my class, the first class to have women in it, but we were also the first class to have a black first captain.
1: This is a progressive class. Your class killed it.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, I know, yeah. I know, yeah. we Forget those events. We killed it, we nailed it, and again, 62 women graduated, but 81 and 82 didn't have many more women that graduated. And when you see from those early years, we have Lieutenant General Nadia West, uh, three-star general, Army Surgeon General. And so that's what we want to accomplish. We want to see um, champions of some of the other social areas. We have seen the repeal of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell women in ranger school. We have almost 100 women graduates from ranger school. Part of it is 100 women West Pointers showed up on a lovely August day at Fort Benning, Georgia, when the first two women graduated from ranger school. And part of that was telling the army leadership saw how much interest in where women wanted to serve. Why women West Pointers, hey, we've done all of the things equally uh, with the the male West Pointers. We've been to Buckner. We went, you know, Camp Frederick or Lake Frederick. Um, We've been to driven tanks and fired uh, field artillery pieces. We don't see the fact that we're women as a reason not to allow us in those places. And other groups um, have also seen that um, and the power of it. And I I think that's extremely important uh, for an institution uh, like West Point. In the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell and other social areas, uh, the women, because we've shown up, 500 showed up in 2006. It also helped to change the words of the alma mater. Um, the Naval Academy went first. They changed their, our, our event was April 2016. The Naval Academy changed theirs in September 2006, or 2006 was the, the women's seminar. In, in that September, the Navy changed theirs And then the very following year, we changed ours to be inclusive. And we hear those phrases today about, you know, unconscious bias, inclusiveness, uh, engagement, seats at the table. And this is where seeing the class of 80 and all the classes that came after us. Yeah, we were the first ones down the trail, but we weren't going to, that trail wasn't going to be open to the thousands and thousands of West Pointers who've come afterwards to make sure that permanent change has not only happened at West Point, but also in the Army and our military.
1: It's, it's, uh, it's big.
0: Believe it, Eddie, believe this. So you used to be, have to be 5'8 to fly a helicopter. And so they didn't allow women to fly helicopters because a good portion of women were below 5.8. And once they changed that, they could actually have a seat that moves back and forth. Yeah. (laughs) You now have men under 5.8 who can fly helicopters.
1: No, you don't say. (laughs) They opened up to men under 5.8 (laughs) too. Oh, that's funny.
0: I mean, it's just you know, it was oh well, women can't fly helicopters. It was based on a physical height difference, and the reality was, you know, I'm five eight, so I could I could have made it. I have friends that are six foot; they could have made it. And but now we had we were inclusive of short men too.
1: Well, hey, I think I just crossed the threshold so I can fly a helicopter, but you'd think if you can get something to fly and stand still in the air, you can get a a seat to move a little bit, you know? Um,
0: Well, you're thinking of all the technology that went in there, you know, adjustable seats shouldn't have been terrible. it's mechanical, it's really not that big a deal.
1: That's right, that's right. All right, it's time for our final segment, Giving Back. I could see so many younger graduates identifying with you for a host of different reasons. One is because they're maybe they are interested in reaching the top of their field and whatever it is, but especially cybersecurity. Maybe it's because they are women that, you know, even though they didn't perhaps go through what you went through, they're still going through something when it comes to both the military and the private sector and transitioning and trying to reach the C-suite. But what would be your advice to whoever you want to speak to out there uh, when it comes to things that have served you well in, in your life?
0: Yeah, I think a couple of things. West Point's pretty interesting. Uh, a lot of times, if your cadet experience wasn't that good, some people just don't feel like going back. And it took a while. I went back to my, my fifth year reunion and then the 10th year, and it was by the 10th year I kind of dealt with the emotions. Of West Point, West Point can do a head trip on people, um, not just women, and and a lot of people are struggling on academics. I see people, oh, I'm not good in math, you know, I was at the lower part of my class rank, and my math scores were really ba- bad. But compared to the rest of the population in the world, you're awesome. And so what I would would tell people is get back to West Point and and get through your 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 relationship with it and giving back to the academy is amazing it takes a while um sometimes you might think well i don't have any you know i'm barely making my ends meet i can't give back monetarily but helping a cadet or having a conversation with someone um, being kind talking about your experiences are all things we can do they're pretty much free And even today, uh, I'll get uh, either on the internet through the Facebook page or LinkedIn or some other way, Um, I'll get uh, cadets that'll reach out or young graduates. I will, if I see someone that says, hey, I'm interested in a cybersecurity career, I always will reach back and say, contact me um, and I will take the time for them. Um, I don't have a lot of time in my, my business, Uh, But anytime I can find a grad or I know a grad is going to show up I'll be there for them to have that conversation Uh, There's so many graduates that that five minutes they didn't know made a difference in my life And I want to make sure that five minutes or ten minutes or hour I can give somebody Makes a difference in their life and it's not that I'm the Oracle of all great knowledge I'm not I have an opinion Um, I'm not afraid to express it. I'll express it. And then people can make with their own judgment uh, what they want to do, what they need to do, and what's right for them. I'm never going to try to sway somebody one way or the other. I'm going to give them the knowledge and expertise that I see from my point of view and hopefully help them to ensure uh, that they're making the right decision.
1: Well, that's big, and you've given us more than uh, more than our fair share of your time. So we really, really appreciate it. And I, I've picked up so much. The the biggest thing that I think I've learned from today's session is probably just to not limit yourself. Uh, really think that if there's a mission that can be done, like you can, you can probably do it and just go after it. Um, but we really, really appreciate your time. I could learn for your, you know from your stories for hours. But this is uh, this has been great. Thank you so much, Marine. Um, really appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you, Eddie, and thank you for the program that you're doing and understanding about the special interest groups and and actually getting us a great message uh, out there. And uh, anybody who's interested, uh, I can hook you up. We'll hook you up with Terrence Singfield because he's the man.
1: That's right. Terrence is is the man. He's the man.
0: Yeah, Terrence is the man. Uh, Or anybody wants to learn more about West Point Women or cybersecurity, or Eddie will talk to you about his program because it's just awesome. Though I'm not sure it should be called Old Grad or Mature Grad.
1: Mature Grad. (laughs) Wait, maybe we can think about switching it, but we'll get back to you on that one. All
0: right. Thank you.
1: Maureen, thank you. Really, really appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to On Point. Please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you're listening. It really helps us out. Also, subscribe to our newsletter at oldgradclub.com and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at oldgradclub. We'll see you in the next episode.